Hello, Division Three basketball fans, and welcome to another edition of Hoopsville, the off-season podcast. This is our May edition. Yes, it's coming out in early June. We can discuss the reasons why for the delay in a bit, but I am your host, Dave McHugh, and we welcome you, or we welcome all of you tuned in, even if you may not be Division Three basketball fans as of yet. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. You can always interact with us, even in the offseason. You can find us on Twitter, at D3Hoopsville, on Instagram, at D3Hoopsville. On both, you can use the hashtag Hoopsville. Of course, on Facebook, at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. And we're told the email is back up and operational, so feel free to use that as well. Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. And I'll throw this plug in there. Obviously, you should stay uh, with D3Hoops.com for all the news out there, along with our Twitter accounts and and social media presences. But go to um, D3Boards.com, D3Boards.com. You can chat with fans even in the offseason. It's not as busy as it normally is during uh, the regular season. Go to the post-up section to talk basketball. Okay, you can go to Post Patterns to talk about football. There's a baseball one there, too, and there's some other sports. But really, basketball, posting up. Go, go ahead, join us there. Talk about your, your conference, your team, your region, whatever. The more the merrier. It certainly makes for a fun uh, atmosphere there, even in the offseason. There's a lot to talk about, uh, even up until this point that we're recording this. Uh, there's still Division Three news happening, despite the fact that we have gotten to the end of the academic year. I believe all... The championships have been handed out. Baseball kind of wrapping things up uh, very recently. I was at the Division Three Women's Lacrosse Championships the fourth time in five years. Honored to do that. Congratulations to Middlebury women to win their second title in four years, seventh title in 10 tries. Three NESCAC teams there along with Salisbury. We can go into that, but we won't <laughs> dive into into lacrosse news here on this show. But uh, a joy to do that. And now everybody kind of takes a big sigh of relief. Um, and, and focuses this summer on recharging the batteries in the next academic year. But everybody's already looking ahead to the next academic year. And we, we can talk, we'll talk a little bit about coaching changes a little later in the program. We'll certainly talk about rule changes. We'll mention them, but we'll really dive into those rule changes next show. But the big news that a lot of people are talking about still, including nationally, was a decision by the MIAC, which will not impact things next year. It won't impact things the following academic year. But after that, after 2021, it could have a major impact on Division III, even if you don't think it will. I have a feeling it will. And that's the decision to, quote-unquote, involuntarily remove the University of St. Thomas, a founding member of the MIAC, from the MIAC after 99 years. Apparently winning is a little bit uh, foreboding by some in the conference. I'm going to share my thoughts on this at the end of the show, but we didn't want to waste much time when we get into it. Particulars, though, we want to get to. Again, this will take place after the spring of 2021, so at the conclusion of the 2021 academic year. um, St. Thomas apparently agreed to this quote-unquote involuntary removal, which is kind of a weird way of saying it, agreed to it. It didn't come to a formal vote. Apparently, the formal vote was headed in the direction of removal. But please understand, this was a minority of of schools, as we understand it, who was able to get the necessary votes by bringing in some of those in the middle of this topic of conversation. 
Again, I'm going to express my opinion, which I've already expressed on social media uh, at the end of the show. But in the meantime, I was able to get Pat Coleman to join me on the show. And, that, and one of the reasons we were delayed was Pat is pretty busy this time of year, believe it or not. He helps out Jim Dixon at D3Baseball.com and the World Series and postseason obviously going on. But we were able to catch up with Pat, who, by the way, was at a game when he talked to us. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it is the editor-in-chief of Name a Website, Pat Coleman. Pat, how are you, sir? I'm doing all right. How are things? Pretty good. I mean, this is one of those stories where we could label D3 football, D3 hoops, D3 sports, D3 baseball, yeah. where you help. Uh, and we should point out you're at the uh, D3 baseball uh, championships uh, currently, so I appreciate the time you've taken us. But it's that kind of story. It's encompassing everything when we talk about what the Mayak has decided to do here and you know, this is bordering on, if not unprecedented, in Division Three. Yeah, I really think it is essentially unprecedented in Division Three. The uh, the fact that the the Bayek presidents essentially, for all intents and purposes, voted to remove St. Thomas from the conference is you know something that has not happened, as far as we could tell, for competitive reasons at least right. in the history of Division Three. You know, St. Thomas did not do anything wrong. They did not violate any of the conference bylaws. They simply won, you know, something like 56% of the conference championships over the course of the last X number of years. And although the conference didn't formally take a vote to remove them, the straw poll said the writing was on the wall. And St. Thomas, I think, for, you know, for the good graces and uh, of all involved, decided not to force them to take a vote to remove them and decided to negotiate this involuntary removal. <laughs> Involuntary has been the word that I found, I think, the most surprising used in this whole thing because <laughs> it felt almost too overt, or not overt, it almost felt too on the nose. Yeah, you know, it's like conscious uncoupling, right? Yes. <laughs> um, let, let's back it up a little bit here. Again, you pointed out they've won 56% of the of the championships, and, and to some degree, you, as we, it's baseball going on, which is outstanding. Uh, to some extent, Pat, that's not, that, you know, that's not a huge number in my mind. It obviously is in the eye of the beholder, though, and really, while football got a lot of attention on this topic, Pat, it's really women's sports that seems to be the, the crux to the problem, if you really want to look at it. Well, and, you know, of course, uh, Hoopsville fans know that they have won, you know, what is it, 11 out of the past 12 conference championships in men's basketball, sure. but they've won, you know, I think 70 consecutive games against uh, conference opponents in women's basketball. Uh, they've been fantastic in softball, where they've uh, mm -hmm. you know been national championship contenders. Uh, but also, of course, baseball. They won the title in 2011. They won the men's basketball title. I think that was also in 20 yes. 2011, something like that. Yep. And then again, just a couple years ago, they've been to the Stag Bowl, which is a football championship game twice. Um, they're they're uh, dominant in track and field. They're, I think they're dominant in men's and women's swimming, although I'm getting a little bit further away from my area <laughs> of expertise. They are not dominant in tennis. No. And, of course, they did not win any of the quote-unquote big three of football, men's basketball, and baseball this year. And they weren't even in the top two mm -hmm. in football and did not make the playoffs this past season, which makes it just kind of fascinating uh, in and of itself. It's like if you were going to remove them, uh, if you're going to have this vote 12 months ago, you would have had a much better uh, argument to do so. Although, I, they, regardless, it's a bad argument, and they certainly did right. not do a good job of selling the argument either. Well, and here's the thing, and we go back to this. This was done in cloak and dagger. This was done behind the scenes, trying to be, you know, 
quiet about it that when the news would finally hit, it would be done. Somebody yeah. leaked it. I have it on good account. It was not St. Thomas who leaked this story. They had nothing to do with the media um, learning about this. And by the way, the, the, Trib, the Tribune up where you are located has done a fantastic job of this story. But that's what makes this even worse, Pat, is, is how they have gone about handling this. And by they, I mean, honestly, the minority in this case. Yeah, I mean, basically, uh, it, it would take it would have taken nine out of the 13 to vote in favor. But it really only took uh, a small number of schools that essentially were saying from everything that we have heard, we're saying that we are going to leave this conference if you do not get rid of St. Thomas. And so let's think we know St. Olaf for sure. I think we can kind of uh, assume that similar schools such as McAllister and Carlton might be mm -hmm. uh, ones who would who have done the same thing. Um, and, you know, if those schools did decide and to up and leave the MIAC, then it, it does it does kind of change things. It changes the, the conference and it, the conference doesn't exist in its current form anymore. It's barely enough to retain automatic bids in most sports, although certainly not impossible because I think St. Scholastica up in Duluth would really like to be in the MIAC sure. if that were if a spot were available for them. Um, but, yeah, I think the conference decided that if the lesser of two evils is forcing St. Thomas, for all intents and purposes, to leave or allowing three or four schools to leave the conference on their own volition and do who knows what, um, then, then I think they chose – that's what they decided. They decided they had to choose one or the other. Listen, there's 13 schools in this conference, granted yeah. 12 because of St. Benedict being a single sex. Well, uh, 11, St. Kate's true. also, so there's Good point. 11. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so obviously the numbers are close. You you lose three or four members and you're dancing with the AQ line. You know, you lose four and you're down to seven in the last one. And I realize a lot of other sports are not supported by all schools, and so you're even in more danger. But yeah. do you almost, I, I kind of feel like, you know what, I, I wish the middle group had called their bluff, and if they had left, so be it, you could have found other members. Yeah, I think so, too. I think if you are, and let's say that middle group is people like Augsburg and Hamlin and maybe Concordia, um, then, you know, it's, you are now, yeah, now you're like the quote-unquote basement of the group. Yeah. Um, and, and you're getting pummeled by St. John, St. Thomas in a lot of sports, St. Ben's, um, and you don't get, you know, the advantage of also having games that you can go out and win. And again, please, this is not across all sports. Obviously, McAllister is very competitive in sports. Oh, right, right. Uh, St. Olaf is very competitive in a lot of sports. Actually, surprisingly competitive for a school whose president is the ringleader to get rid of the most competitive uh, program. You kind of walked me right into where I was going next. And that was the other part that surprises me is St. Olaf is supposedly the ringleader in this. Yet in men's basketball, as we know, they have become very competitive St. Thomas came into the season not nearly the favorite in the conference, uh, along with uh, others like St. John's who were expected to compete, but St. Olaf being one of them. It, it almost feels weird to me that he's cr crying foul when they finally have started to become kind of part of the, the top echelon. Yeah, Dave, if St. Thomas is so evil, then why did St. Olaf hire St. Thomas's top assistant to be the head <laughs> football coach a couple years ago? If, Good if having a if having a competitive program is such a bad idea, why did they build a brand-new on-campus ice hockey arena? Why did they hire someone who was a former D1 men's ice hockey coach? You know, they really have put some emphasis behind athletics, but they were embarrassed a couple years ago when they lost to St. Thomas in football 97 to nothing because 
the program, they hadn't done a good job maintaining the football program. Right. They had let it go stagnant, and they had let it get to the position where they were not competitive, and they were embarrassed by that, and, and a lot of people believe that that is really the catalyst behind all of this, going back to what you said uh, a few minutes ago about football being the, the driver. I mean, and speaking of that game, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds because we can read a lot about this, but if I remember, wasn't St. Thomas on the road in that game, and doesn't the conference have a, a, a road limit of how many you can bring? Yeah, it is a, that's a road game for St. Thomas. You're only allowed to dress. Um, you know, I'm sorry, I don't have the number in no, front of me. Yeah, but, but you're limited. Like, 60 or some players like that. So you cannot really just put in your third string in road games and conference games. And that's a road uh, limit number of guys you can dress is not unusual for no. football in, in Division Three conferences. Um, but people had advocated in the conference for making that uh, a larger number so that if you are St. Thomas, if you are St. John's, if you are um, Concordia even, Concordia ran the table, uh, you know, ran uh, the bottom four schools out of the – uh, off the field in, in football this year, right. but you could then take you could take your threes, your third stringers, and you know be in a position where you can provide a more comfortable defeat, I guess, for those overmatched home teams. I don't know other any other well, good way to but say. But that's it. that's the point. Your rules basically dictate that St. Thomas did as much as it could, and I remember that game. I remember them put kind of running the entire second half of that game. So they're running with the least amount of players that, you know, the, the least talented, and I'm using that term loosely, that they can put on the field because yeah. of the rules in place. You can point to that, that game all you want, but to some degree, what else is St. Thomas supposed to do in that situation if you're not fielding a team that's going to be competitive in the first place? You know, Dave, I have had conversations with multiple people, usually on chat boards and that sort of thing, or in Twitter, especially on Twitter about this. And <laughs> it's like, when is it, it, what is the unwritten rule of football say? When is it, when is it that, the home, that the winning football team has to stop playing? Right. Is it, you know, it's not before halftime. That's for darn sure. And, no. Uh, you know, in one of those games, St. Thomas was up like 56 or 64 to nothing at halftime. Right. You cannot in any way ever tell me that, the, the, that any team can st is required to stop trying before even halftime of the game. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, yeah, I mean, if you're, even if you're running guys and, and St. Thomas in this 97 to nothing game, I think an offensive lineman scored a touchdown, you know, you're out of, you've, you've given all your running backs the carries, right? What are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to just take a knee? Exactly. Are they supposed to like run out of bounds? Are they supposed to do what Mount Union does a lot and kick at a field goal on third down? Right. For, for to make it less embarrassing. I think that's pretty embarrassing, frankly. Yeah. If someone lined up to kick a field goal on third down against me because they, they wanted to not score a touchdown, I don't think that's any better. I, so, kneeling yeah. on the ball and yeah. losing five yards to turn it over is just as embarrassing. Yeah, exactly. You're not competing. There's, there's Yeah, it's not right, exactly. The, the whole thing, of course, is that St. Olaf has to get better. Carlton Agreed. has to get better. Car Carlton hired a new coach. Uh, they may well get better. Um, McAllister probably will rejoin the league in football now because uh, with St. Thomas being gone, yeah. um, McAllister has to get better. Um, they've gotten better. I, you know, it's just, you, you can't, it, ugh, it's so un-American, frankly. And I'm well, not usually sure. the kind of person who will say something like that, <laughs> but it's just not. It's, it's anti-competitive, and then what are you doing if you're not competing? Hey, listen, we can't win. We're going to water down the competition. Uh, listen, yeah, exactly. we don't like how the Yankees and Red Sox run things. We're going to kick you out of the Major League Baseball. I know that's a bit of an extreme example, but uh, we can give my opinions on this at the end of the show. 
Pat, let's talk about what the future is for St. Thomas here. Um, they obviously have two years here. So this is let's just let's pump the brakes for those of you out there thinking the death nail has been sent. They've got two years to figure things out. That's a good chunk of, of time. There's talk that the WIAC has had discussions since this news broke of, of bringing St. Thomas in. Um, yep. There's talk that maybe St. Thomas has been receptive to that. I'm, I'm not positive. Outside of that, uh, we'll talk about a, a, other avenues. Let's stick with D3 for a moment. What other avenues could they have? Is, is the Midwest Conference realistic? I think it was for the bottom of that group. I don't think the UMAC wants St. Thomas. It feels like this is the WIAC or maybe the ARC. Yeah, I would think that the ARC is uh, definitely in the mix. Um, you know, I'm here in ARC country right now, so I've had a, a couple of conversations about that. We'll have uh, a more in-depth conversation about that coming up on the next D3 football podcast here in June, just to tease that, although it's an interview that hasn't happened yet. It's just a conversation, <laughs> a couple conversations we've had. A tease of I a tease. Think that, well, you know, and so the ARC, of course, you know, recently expanded outside of the mm-hmm. Iowa borders and, and took on Nebraska Wesley in it. Right. Uh, you know, the University of St. Thomas is very similar in that it is a, uh, a kind of a similar institution, although obviously larger, and it is in a neighboring state, but it's in a state where, you know, if you're someone like uh, Wartburg or Luther or Coe, you bring a lot of kids from Minnesota, come to your campus and go to school there. So I think it's not completely unnatural for there to be a St. Thomas ARC connection. Uh, you know, St. Thomas has won something like 12 consecutive all sports trophies or commissioner's cups or whatever it is in the MIAC. And Warburg has actually won more of those consecutively mm-hmm. in the ARC. So that is, uh, yeah, that, that would be interesting as, uh, as, as well. It would be uh, a good opportunity for each of them to find some good tests against each other. But, uh, you know, St. Thomas is, it's four hours from Coe, I can tell you that. And it's six and sure. a half from Nebraska Wesleyan. Yeah. I mean, it, it, Nebraska Wesleyan is far for everybody. Right. Coe I, took, and, I uh, took the furthest one. Yeah. Coe and Warburg and Central are all kind of the, the center of the conference geographically. So it's four hours from Coe. It's like three and a half from Warburg. It's probably four and a half from Central. It's a little far. It is a little out there. But it's all, you know, it's all interstate, at least. Once you get to 35 in Iowa, it's not a bad drive. No. It's a bad, it's a bad drive from Morris and Dubuque. Uh, as someone who has great grandparents <laughs> who lived in Dubuque and drove from the Twin Cities, that's an awful drive. But uh, other than that, it's not, it's not crazy. It's not crazy for that. And, and the WIAC, yeah. I think, is def- a definite possibility. It's like the WIAC wants another football program. Even though they have the minimum for the AQ, they have eight teams that means you have to schedule three non-conference football games and nobody wants to play the WIAC. So right. they would gladly add another strong football program to help scheduling concerns. Um, baseball is not, does mm-hmm. not have an AQ at the moment. They will qualify for one here in a couple of years because they've added Finlandia, which is up in the UP of Michigan <laughs> and even more of an outlier for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, a school that might have trouble staying open or an athletic yes. department that might have trouble fielding baseball. Um, St. Thomas would really solidify that. And if they gave them eight programs, that you know is a lot more balanced and you you have a, you have better scheduling possibilities well, there. And people don't because realize there's some sports that don't even get sponsored by that conference, like men's soccer, that that, that this could right. help with. It could. I mean, there would only be three men's soccer programs. No, I know. So. I'm taking a bit of an extreme, but it, you know, you you could build maybe towards the future and, and see where that develops. Um, I, I'm of the opinion that while this move was supposedly to keep the conference from splitting, 
I, I get this gut feeling that if the right cards were in play, and I realize this is a bit of a of a stretch, but the right cards in play that there could still be a split in the MIAC that the teams may or schools may still be irate about this and head off with St. Thomas. Again, we've got two years to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many would go with them, but I would think that St. John's slash St. Ben's might. Yeah, um, it's such a they. St. John's is really the only school that came out and publicly stated that they were Agreed. not in favor of uh, of this uh, unconscious conscious uncoupling. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's really a possibility. Wouldn't it be awesome to have then travel partners in Minnesota for the oh, YX? Yeah. Um, and it does sound. I mean, here's one thing that uh, you know that has been talked about down here at the baseball thing this week that uh, we haven't really talked about much publicly. Uh, it sounds like there are enough YAC presidents slash chancellors who would be in favor of making this happen. I think yes. that's the big, that's the big bugaboo is you never know what presidents are going to do, uh, as the MIAC so recently uh, mm-hmm. proved to us um, that they don't always fall in line with the with the athletic what makes sense athletically. Yeah, I, I I agree. I I you know listen, my idea may be a little bit more far fetched, and I understand that. And, and and it's maybe me just thinking you know there's some bitter blood there, um, that's a little ticked off about the, how this whole thing per- happened, um, and, and it may not be realistic. But that's why I bring it up. It, it's it's sad that we've come to this. Listen, there's other situations we've known schools to leave a conference or be ejected from a conference that were good, but they had extenuating circumstances. This one didn't have those extenuating circumstances unless winning is now one of those, obviously. Um, yeah. Do you worry that this sets a precedent that we may see trickle down, or do you think there's enough smarter heads in Division Three that knows that this is the worst idea ever imaginable? Well, it's interesting, right? I think that um, what happens over the course of the next couple of years with the Mayak situation will kind of tell this tale. It's an initial flurry of hugely bad press for the MIAC oh, yes. and the MIAC presidents. I mean, really unprecedented. It is the biggest mainstream media story in Division Three this season, which is a shame. Yep. Um, but, you know, the, the mainstream often latches on to D3 stories, which are the news of the weird, and plays them up huge. True. Um, but if it settles back and, you know, the, you know, nobody talks about it again, I could see, um, you know, conferences where there are big splits uh, between public and private schools. You yep. know, those are always kind of uncomfortable marriages. Um, you and I have known that. Uh, <laughs> we, you, you very loosely alluded to Christopher Newport and the, yeah, uh, and the USA South um, <laughs> because that was an uncomfortable marriage there. And yeah. CNU very well could have been booted from the USA South. Um, if they had not chosen to leave voluntarily several years ago, CNU being the only state school in that league right. with a bunch of very small, uh, underfunded athletic departments in private schools, it's not quite analogous to the USC MIAC situation, but it's pretty close. If CNU had gotten booted for being a state school in that league, right. that, that would be about the same thing. But it's ironic but, that if St. Thomas joins the WIAC, it turns that state school, private school thing on its head a little bit. You know, it would be, I think, our first time where we've seen that come together since the argument has been made that those two can't exist together. Yeah, it is just, you know, this has been an undercurrent that has been bubbling for decades. Mm -hmm. You know, the the D3, D4 thing was, I think, in part uh, because of state schools, because schools didn't think that uh, schools like the New Jersey state schools and the Wisconsin state schools uh, belonged. Right. in the same grouping as everybody else, even though everybody knows, everybody at the leadership level should understand that college affiliation or uh, 
I'm sorry, the baseball is distracting me. No, now. it's fine. <laughs> Run comes it. across for Chapman, and it's a tie ball game here in the top of the second. Um, it's awesome. It's, uh, well, Chapman is a school very much like St. Thomas. Good They're point. A, a, a six thousand or so undergrads. They had a long trouble. It's two one. Thank you. I put my glasses on. It's two one Chapman. Thanks, Jim. Um, but Chapman had uh, had to wait a long time after trying to get into the Skyac and forever and forever. And being you know on a geographic island, the only non Skyac team in Southern California, and it took forever yes. for the Skyac to let them in because Chapman as an institution is different than mm-hmm. the Skyac. They're a little larger and they care a little more about athletics. Um, it doesn't mean that they've dominated. I don't believe that Mm-mm. they have. No. Um, but that is, you know, that's the fear. And presidents like to have their schools, their colleges, their universities associated with peer institutions that they think make them look good, right? Yep. So if you are Pomona and pitcher, I don't know. I don't know how to make that. If you're Pomona pitcher, you want to be associated with uh, someone like Caltech or like the University of Redlands, where academics are a priority, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. If you're the University of Rochester, you want to be associated with Emory and the University of Chicago and Washington University, or, you know, um, if, uh, in the Liberty League, too, where they're with uh, smaller schools that are also academically focused or right. seemingly more elite, like Clarkson or Skidmore, et cetera. You don't want to necessarily add somebody who brings your reputation down, and that's kind of ridiculous in all honesty in my opinion yeah i guess why i'm not a university president no i agree with you and uh, again i'll express my opinion in the final segment of the show which though on twitter i finally uh couldn't hold back too much uh and let loose when it finally became public um pat i appreciate the time we could go into this six ways a sunday talk about it for an entire two hours uh and maybe only get our blood boiling even further um, which doesn't do anybody any good. <laughs> uh, I know you got to get back to baseball, so I appreciate the time you, you gave us. Uh, you know we always give the final word to the guest. Uh, I don't know if you've expressed your opinion and want to do so now. Uh, I also don't know if you have a different point of view now that it's you know been a, a little bit of time since the news has officially been uh, has come out. But w- your final thoughts on this whole thing? You know, I just think that it's a shame, first off, because, uh, you know, I'm a Minnesota guy. Uh, not born and bred, but, you know, I've, I've aligned myself with Minnesota for about 30-some years. And it's just to see the conference intentionally uh, devalue itself, intentionally take itself out of some, if not all, but some at-large conversations, intentionally dumb down the competition. That's, that's going to hurt their student-athletes in terms of postseason awards, that sort of thing. It's going to make uh, – it's just going to – it's just such a bad idea on so many levels, and it's really disappointing to have seen that happen. Um, if you want more of my opinion, you can get uh, uh, Around the Nation Podcast 237, in which Keith and I have talked about already. Uh, that came out a little bit a little bit ago, and then 238, we'll talk about it as well. So there's, uh, we'll, we'll continue to talk about this. We're not going to let it die just because it's no longer mainstream front-page news. Uh, agreed. Uh, you, your timing on 237 was epic. Coming out a couple of days before the news broke, and then our timing got delayed as a result because of the news breaking as well. Dave, Pat, David, David, six hours before the news broke. Oh, was it, it six wild. hours? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah I, I've lost track of time already. Wow. Um, I appreciate the time you took. Uh, thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of the baseball, though. The podcast will come out about the time you guys are wrapped up, and I look forward to talking to you down the road. Sounds good. Go Panthers. <laughs> nice. Uh, Pat Coleman joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline.
Once again, Pat Coleman joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Uh, Pat joining us, as you heard, in the middle of a baseball game. It was the championships, and you heard him mention that Chapman had gotten a couple runs. Congratulations to Chapman, because they went on to win the baseball championship. So congratulations to them on that title. Again, at the end of the program, we, I will express my opinions on this. You probably already know where I'm headed in this direction, uh, but we'll talk more about this. We'll get more reaction from this. This story isn't obviously going to go away as St. Thomas has two years left in the MIAC. I have a feeling this will be the not-so-subtle conversation for the next two years. Plenty of time to divulge and dive in and whatever you want to do with it. At the same time, you know we're going to have to see how pieces move around. I have a feeling... Again, I said on that with this segment with Pat that, that things are coming that, that I, I don't think it's done. I don't think this is just a one move, move St. Thomas, and we're done here. I, I think there's some other things coming, but we'll dive into that a little bit later. All right, so other things we're going to discuss on the show. We're going to talk coaching changes. We'll talk about some of the significant coaching moves coming up a little bit later in the program, some of the ones that have caught our attention in the six weeks since we brought you our last program. However, coming up next, we talked to two coaches that made moves that caught our attention. I'll talk to Sam Hargraves, who's moving from Alma to Olivet, while that decision happened as his alma mater at Calvin opened up as well. And then Gordon Mann will join us and talk to a coach who's going from East Coast to West Coast. Michael Capolino talks about leaving Mount St. Mary and taking over a vaunted, vaunted George Fox program. Those are our two interviews coming up here on Hoopsville. I'll also talk briefly about some of the notes around Division Three that have caught my attention, including the rules change that you will see on the court uh, in the next year or two, and much more. So we'll get a break and continue on with this G- May edition, despite it coming out in June, of the Hoopsville podcast. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. More Hoopsville when we get back. got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go on a personal trainer and share my knowledge for the that love I of the game. in college. But for those of us who are Division three student-athletes, it's more than that. It's, it's a lot more. to stop sexual sure. assault. The game is way that we can. But as to we get a friend so home safe. To, to never blame the victim. Body, it's on us. It's to stand team. up. To make that our community safe That is why NCAA Division Three teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sports to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. 
Help us keep that dream alive. Stop. You can make a difference. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. Welcome back to the Hoops Hill Podcast here at the end of May. Appreciate you taking the time to tune in. It is a jam-packed show full of lots of interesting topics. We hope you're enjoying it. We're hoping to do this every month until we resume the regular season. If you've got a topic you'd like us to maybe discuss or you have a question for us you'd like to get answered, you can always tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. You can also email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. Despite the end of the regular season, that email address is working, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. You can also join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville. I am your host, Dave McHugh. Appreciate you taking the time to join us. One of the interesting topics, uh, obviously, in the offseason is coaching changes, and it's a topic of this show, certainly. One of the more interesting ones is when it happens in conference. It happens more often than I think people realize it happens. I know when uh, it happens, uh, a bunch of us at the D3 Hoop staff will go, hey, when was the last time? Oh, yeah, there was this, and oh, yeah, there was that. I forgot about And you start to realize that sometimes it happens a little bit more often. It certainly isn't a normal scenario, but it happens. One of the ones that caught our attention, though, this year is a move inside the MIAA because it was more than just one move. There were fascinating pieces involved with it. It really involved three schools, even if the third school wasn't technically involved. It's the move of Sam Hargraves from Alma to Olivet. Now, Sam is a graduate of Calvin and played at Calvin. And, of course, that job opened up as well this offseason. What does it all mean? How did Sam come to the decision to go to Olivet, which maybe on your outside radar doesn't seem to add up? I was certainly fascinated with it, even though I think, in my opinion, it makes some sense. So he talked to us about it all. Now joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline, presented by Blue Frame Technology, it's the head coach of Olivet Men's Basketball. It is Sam Hargraves. And Sam, thanks for taking the time to join us here, sir. Yeah, thank you, Dave. I appreciate the opportunity. I have to admit, uh, this is one of those uh, coaching moves that, that piques interest for a lot of different reasons. I remember when I first got wind of what was going on before the hiring, I thought to myself, you know, I almost played the pro and con, maybe you did. Oh, yeah, okay, that makes some sense. Wow, really? You'd le- okay, but, you, oh, wow, but mm, this could not have been an easy decision. Yeah, of course not. And, and uh, you know, so many so many coaches, uh, it's, it's just part of what we go through at times. Uh, you're at a place for eight years, and I loved my time at Alma so much, and, and there, there was nothing personal at all in, in making this decision, and it, it was probably the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life as, as far as leaving. And then, of course, it's harder because you're, you're going to a school in the same conference. And I wish it wasn't because there's not some vendetta where, wow, no, you know, we're going to go back and take it to Alma. Um, it, it's just nothing like that. And then, of course, my alma mater, Calvin, is in the same conference as well. Yeah. And there, there's nothing personal about any of this. Uh, if, if all of that was in a different conference, it might have been a little bit easier. But it is what it is. It's, it's really, really hard to get a head coaching job. Uh, everybody who's in this profession knows that. 
and you get an, a good opportunity, um, you can't be too picky because who knows when, when my next opportunity may have come. So it was, uh, it was something that was a little bit out of the blue for me as well. Uh, but it just, it just seemed like the right place at the right time. And, uh, and, and, and that's why you're calling to discuss yeah, that. Exactly. We'll get to the conference, alma mater, all that in a minute. I want to just talk about Alma for a moment. Uh, unfortunately, uh, last season, 5-22, and 22, uh, you know, you, we look back a couple seasons ago, 2015-16, you guys finished 24-7. and seven. You make the second round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, you were 12-2 and two in the MIAA. You know, you had been above 500 in the MIA for a couple of seasons there. Bracketed, those were, were just near 500 seasons. It seemed like you were kind of delivering Alma to, to a higher you know, level, especially with the MIA all over the place. It, really, Calvin and sure. Hope had come back to the group a bit. So that's, I think, where my surprise was. But then again, I do look at that 5-22 and 22 season. Do we look at that NCAA tournament year as a, I hate to say this, flash in the pan? Were there struggles that we just don't understand? Or was that just the ebb and flow of a, of a program that you know we sometimes forget about? Yeah. Well, I, you know, one thing I think we can always learn from history a little bit. Uh, sometimes that's not true, but I, but I think in this case, um, you know, you can look at the hundred plus year history of the program at Alma, and there hadn't been a ton of success there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't ever want to say it was lucky because I think if you do something, there's there is some luck that plays into it for sure. Uh, but but my staff and I, we did a really good job. We had an unbelievable group of kids during that time. And, you know, we did it. It was, it was a fact. We actually did that. Now, sustaining it, then that was going to be the next challenge, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I don't ever want to say it's easy to go to the NCAA tournament um, or do the things that we did. But it's easier than trying to do that for forever for mm-hmm. for you know for three years for 10 years for 25 years for as long as as you're at a place i guess as a head coach um and and that that showed to be difficult but but some of it was uh the two years after the elite eight team we had some unbelievable run of injuries and i know that sounds like an excuse and everybody goes through it but it's a reality and in our sport Man, you lose one or two of your really good players, and that can just change a season so much. Uh, and it really happened to us this last year, where where the young man uh, that was had a chance to probably be my best, most influential all around player, he tore his ACL for the second time right in the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. And he was a six seven kid, and and you know at our level, it's even harder to get kids on the interior that can do some things, especially defensively. And that made it really tough. Uh, if I could, I would have, I would have loved to have been able to change our schedule a couple games at that point. Uh, but you know how scheduling goes. You make a schedule sometimes a couple years in advance mm-hmm. and, and you have a big injury or two. And we actually had more than just that one, but uh, you, you can't change things. It is what it is, but you know, you can't change your conference schedule every year. Anyway, you, you know what you're going to be playing. And so we went four and 10 and it, and it wasn't the season that we, wanted to have or, or maybe even thought we were going to have um but a couple close losses here and there one one two point possession games that can that can change your record it can change your your uh, whole season and, sure. and that's what happened 
In the meantime, Olivet seems like an interesting program in the sense that they've become a little bit more competitive in the MIAA in recent years, but they've had their their problems. And I don't mean that is as harsh as a word as it sounds, but they've had some sure. issues and they made a decision to move on. Obviously, that's why you you were available or the coaching job opened up uh, that you, right. you made a play for. What is it about Olivet that you see that, that intrigued you? Yeah, well... The one one positive, for sure, that I noticed uh, from from the outside is just the level of talent that that was at Olivet the last three years, and that was something that was very intriguing to me uh, to to at least look into the position. I, I really had uh, when when I heard that 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 was going to be open. Um, I didn't even really express any interest initially. Um, I've been friends with the head football coach at Olivet for a long time, and I randomly ran into him, and we started talking about some things, and, and he said, you know, if I was you, I would really look into this. And I just kind of scratched my head a little bit and said, okay, tell me why. And he started to tell me why, and then about an hour later, <laughs> You know, we're still talking, and and that's what got the whole thing rolling. Um, but yeah, and and you know, certainly they there were some issues, and most programs have some issues. But uh, it's it's an interesting opportunity for me because it really is a clean slate as far as and don't don't hold me exactly to this, but I want to <laughs> say like eight eight of the top nine uh, minutes played guys on the team last year are are all gone. Um, so it's, you know, it's going to be a complete rebuild and, and sure knowing that that's going to take some time. Uh, but I really get to kind of start with a fresh clean slate my way and, and then see if I can't, uh, can attract some talent to come here as well. A theme that's going to permeate on this show a little bit is that as much as schools and a conference seem the same, they can be very different. Um, I get the sense that Alma and Olivet are a little bit different than each other. Does that also present its challenges? Yeah. Yep. No doubt. No doubt. It's, uh, well, I guess one way I look at it a little bit is, uh, you know, I'd like to drive a Mercedes Benz, but I can't afford one. Right. <laughs> right. And so I, I drive a Dodge Ram, which is, a, it's a good truck. Yeah. It's a nice truck. And, and it's, and it's what I can afford. New sponsor here um, on Hoopsville, by the way, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. There you, I, I hope you're, I hope you're not a Chevy guy or anything. Nope, I, nope, my apologies nope. to Chevy. No, you're Ford. good. <laughs> um, but in that, that's not, that's, that's not exactly a fair comparison, but, it, but it is a little bit where, um, just because of, of the financial, uh, affordability, of different schools with Olivet certainly has a lower sticker price than Alma does. Sure. Um, I think that that, that is just going to broaden, um, the, the potential recruiting pool that I can have. And, okay. and at this level at division three, it's, it's a numbers game. I mean, we, we all, all of us coaches do the same thing. You, you build this, you cast this big net out and you, you try to see how many, how many fish you can catch in that net. And it's crazy because we go through all this recruiting just to get, you know, maybe two to four good players a year. Uh, and if you can do that for three or four years in a row, you're going to have a pretty good team on the back end of that. And, and so I, I, my net here is larger uh, just, just because of some of the financial aspects of, of uh, all of that. 
of course, the other wrinkle we've hinted at earlier was your alma mater in Calvin. Kevin Vandestreek announcing he was retiring from coaching. He's still there teaching. Uh, if timing is is right in my head, I believe we all knew Alma. I'm sorry, Alma Olivet was open uh, right near the end of the regular season. Of course, Kevin waited several weeks to make that announcement. I think it might have even been post NCAA tournament. Um, and so I assume you were already kind of fully into the into the process um with with Olivet granted hadn't made a decision yet how much did Calvin's opening throw uh, as they say a fly in the ointment yeah well it it caused a, a couple uh, restless nights of sleep there's no doubt about that um and and it's it's crazy uh the timing of life sometimes right mm-hmm. and, and and there's so many things that happen that are um out of our control and and that was one of those things um and you're exactly right with with the oh I don't, I don't know maybe there's a two two and a half week difference in the sure. timeline and uh, I I talked with my AD at Olivet about what was going on with with both jobs and you know he did he did the right thing for him he did what he needed to do which was tell me that he needed a decision and uh, and I made the decision and I, I think it, it obviously shows how excited I am about this opportunity to um to forego maybe even a, a potential opportunity to to interview at my alma mater um and again it's calvin is uh i had a wonderful experience there as a student and as a basketball player uh it's forever will have a special place in my heart um but but i just felt like the timing for this was uh was to be at Olivet. You kind of hinted at it there. You did not interview at Calvin. There were many who speculated that you had been offered a job at Calvin uh, and that you may have turned them down. I I don't remember what I had learned at the time because my brain is mush on that detail. But sure. was Calvin really ever more than a thought? Did they did they pursue? Well, um, from the from the standpoint of. You know, it's funny because it's not like it's not like the Alabama football job or the Duke basketball <laughs> right. job where you know Coach Gay is going to retire one of these days and then they're going to name you know Someone's someone up. the head coach probably within the next hour, right? right. <laughs> and and at our level, it, it doesn't work that way, or at least it no. shouldn't work that way. Uh, certainly, I had some some off the record conversations with people, but just with with the difference in timing, uh, they were they were in the process of where. I don't even, and it's and it's been a while now, but I don't even think the job was posted where you could send a resume somewhere. Okay. Uh, until I had already already had to had either accept or or turn down the Alabet job. So, no, there just, the timelines were so far apart that, that there wasn't anything like that. And another version of that is is the dream to to coach an alma mater, or does that come with an inherent pressure, right or wrong? that maybe isn't enjoyable? And I don't mean that just for Calvin, by the way. I'm being very generic well, in that question. Yeah, yeah. And that's to answer it generically, uh, I think it's impossible to just answer that one way. I think, I think each case probably can be looked at either one of those options or, or somewhere in the middle where, mm-hmm. where you would be lukewarm about it. Uh, most, most of the coaches I know... Uh, they put so much pressure on themselves anyways. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll just speak for myself. I put so much pressure on myself anyways to try and succeed 
uh, the, the outside stuff, I just don't know how big of a deal that would be. But then again, I don't want to be naive and say that uh, certainly at the Division One level or, or even at, on a much smaller scale at a place like Calvin, where there is such a large alumni base and, and basketball uh, has been so important to that campus over the years that, yeah, there would be more outside pressure there at a place like that. But I always feel that if, if that's going to keep you from wanting that job, then, then that's your answer, yeah. and, and then you don't want that job. And for me, that, that had zero to do with it. Uh, it, it just was, it just was the timing issue. And then, and then this being a, a different type of an opportunity for me that I haven't had in my coaching career before. And again, conference schools, all the same. They're very yeah. different. Alma to Olivet right. to Calvin they, for different reasons. I mean, the prestige of Calvin, obviously, but that job isn't a, a prototypical job that, that, that program isn't a prototypical pro- program, even behind the scenes and how it's run. It's not sure. prototypical in this day and age. I, I feel, in, in just in my opinion, it's still stuck in maybe the 1980s and 90s of how Division Three works. Um, Alma is different than Olivet, thus different than Calvin. You really, those are three dramatically different schools if you really start breaking this down. Sure. Yeah, it's just incredible, isn't it? I, I, and I think parents start to learn this as they go through the recruiting process. You know, you've got... You open up a, a college guide book and <laughs> the pictures okay, look the same. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, it's fifteen hundred students. Okay, this one's two thousand. It's a private liberal arts college. You can major in biology, education, mathematics, mm-hmm. and and so on paper they just look so similar. And then as you really start to get into the details, there are there are so many differences. And 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 I think so many of us when we're recruiting as coaches, we talk so much about finding somebody that really fits the culture mm-hmm. and the academics and the financial piece at the school that you're at. And so that's really, that's really all it comes down to, in my opinion. But then, yes, there are places, like I said earlier, where that pool of potential recruits I think could be larger at certain places than it might be at other places. And, and as you just said, that can change overnight somewhere. Uh, if a if a, a college president or a a board of trustees decides, you know, we're going to change sure. our academic standards to this, we're going to change our financial aid packaging to this. Uh, it can make it really really hard or much easier um, within a very very short period of time. And of course, and adapt or die too. You got it. You got it. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And then, and then, of course, at this level with Division Three, because it's non-scholarship, and so the financial aid is the same for any student as it is for any athlete, uh, or at least that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah, right. Um, you know, those are those are big, big decisions that people on the outside will say, "Well, why don't they just help the basketball program?" Well, you can't. You right. can't just do that, right. right? You can't. You can't do that that way. Uh, you can certainly do budgetary things that that can help and recruiting budgets and all those things, but um, that that doesn't touch what a family has to pay out of their pocket to go to that institution. And then I've never been comfortable telling someone what to do with their money. Right. Uh, yep. I, I feel that's a very personal thing, and so that's why I think in the recruiting process we just try to find we try to find a young man who is very comfortable at that school in in all facets. 
And of course, we can add in Title IX there. So if you change one thing for sure. one program, you got to be changing it for the other too, in, a, in an you equivalent way. And and this is far more complicated than people truly appreciate. Yes. We can go dive into a whole new uh, conversation if we go too far here. Um, right. I, I appreciate the insight, Sam. I'm curious. You kind of hinted at it a little bit when you mentioned you lose a lot of your minutes uh, coming in. I say your, uh, you know, the the Olivet team does. Right. Uh, you're kind of starting from scratch a little bit. That can be a blessing and a curse, obviously, because sure. a blessing is you get to kind of mold everything from from a fresh point of view and, and not have to try and convince anybody to, that your way is the, the great way to do it. But it'd also be a curse. You're in for probably a rough season, at least, if not two or three. Sure. What's the ultimate timeline? What's the ultimate, you know, if you're being smart, uh, goal-setting um, moves here that you you hope you can be successful with? Yeah, well, if and I just think at, at this level in general, uh, of course, there are some programs, and we all know them, that are that are just the, the top 25 programs, it seems, from year to year. Maybe things can be done a little bit faster at one of those places. Uh, but I always just feel like it's a, it's kind of a five-year plan. Uh, that that was when I went into Alma. Uh, I, I guess I sold them on my vision of kind of a five-year plan to, to become a really solid program. Uh, and it worked there in five years. And I just think that that number, it gives you, you know, your first recruiting class. Now as those kids become seniors and now you've had, you know, three years behind them uh, to bring in players. I think that's probably a pretty general uh, statement of a timeline to success. Of course, I hope it happens next year, right? I, I certainly mm-hmm. am not going to have that written into my contract because I don't want to be <laughs> held to that next year. So if uh, Dr. Corey is listening, I, I don't want him to add an addendum tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I want to know if he does, though. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll let Give you me know call. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's, that's probably a pretty, a pretty normal timeline, but yeah, I, we'll see what happens. And I, and I knew this year, uh, with, with the, the list of recruits that I had, um, and I know that's, I don't want this to come off as just like short term thinking. Uh, but I did feel that there were, there were a handful of recruits that, you know, I'm going to have maybe a little bit harder time getting them to come to Alma. But I, but I think I can possibly get them to come to Olivet, and a couple of those have worked out. So it, it's been a good start. I, I've been, I've been really happy uh, with, with just kind of how this first month has gone from a recruiting standpoint, and getting me excited about what we can do in the future. Well, congratulations on the decision. I know it wasn't an easy one. I appreciate your your frankness and and, uh, and your openness to us about what what you uh, what do you experience this spring, uh, as it were. We look forward to seeing what you can do down the road. As always, we give our guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? Yeah, just as always, thank you uh, for for your time and and uh, for your promotion of this level of basketball. And I, it's it's always funny how. I talk to to alums from other schools or parents of recruits, and they actually go and watch a Division three basketball game, and they're they're generally just they're blown away by mm-hmm. the competitiveness, the level, the talent, on and on things that that we see every day, but but that we don't take for granted. Uh, so thank you for this opportunity to come and talk about my program, but but more so just what you do for our level in general. Well, thanks. Appreciate the kind words. Enjoy your summer. Look forward to catching up with you as the season starts to roll uh, roll along. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing what you can do with Olivet. Okay. Take care, Dave. Absolutely. Sam Hargraves joining us from Olivet. Once again, Sam Hargraves joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Appreciate 
Blue Frame Technologies' support of our program. And I appreciate Sam Hargraves joining us to talk about it. I, I hope you got some insight and what he was talking about there. There's a lot of parts that we can certainly you know, guess upon or try and figure out by reading tea leaves or whatever the case may be. What kind of situation is Alma in, to be honest with you? Alma feels very much like my alma mater, where I think they've got a name. Uh, they've had some success, but they don't seem to figure out as an institution whether they want to make their athletics continue that success. That's just an outsider's point of view. I think they're happy with where it is, and if they get success, congratulations. If it doesn't continue, they don't know how to react to that. Whereas Olivet feels like a program and a school that's trying to evolve into one that that matters and, and is a deciding factor. I, I don't know. He basically moves, Sam does, an hour and a half hour south of where he once res resided as a head coach, and he's still in the peripheral of Calvin uh, to the east. I don't know if he wanted to coach at Calvin. I'll be honest. I don't know if hiring alums for jobs always works out. I've been close to it at my alma mater, and I've seen it not work more than it has worked. And I'm not even talking currently. I'm talking history. And I've also seen it where it's worked. Obviously, it worked at Wheaton, right? So, but I'm of, of, of the opinion sometimes that an outside point of view isn't the worst thing in the world, that, that an alum can sometimes have too much of an insider's point of view and not see a, as big a picture. That's not a, a comment about Sam or a comment about Calvin, who did hire an alum. I, I think it's just an understanding of sometimes a circumstance per the institution. By the way, earlier in the interview with Sam, I mentioned getting to the second round of the tournament. I did mean second weekend of the tournament. I don't know why I had that screw up. Another thing that he mentioned that I think is very important and I think people need to understand, you need to recruit to the school you are at. And I think the good coaches do one of two things. One, they either understand to adapt and, and recruit to the school that they are at, and especially the long-term ones, or they're the ones who either move around to find the ones that fit their philosophy or are able to adjust accordingly to get better jobs. But you have to recruit to the school you're at. Too many coaches I know are stuck in how they recruit, and they, they either complain that admissions won't get them the players they want or that financial aid won't give them the opportunities they want. I sometimes wonder if they're not adapting to what the situation is and not going after recruits that will fit that billing. I think the ones that succeed understand, okay, I've got some limitations here and I need to adjust. I need to find a student who's going to fit this. I need to find a student who's going to fit the school too. Too many times I think people try to shoehorn those two things together and it doesn't always work out. I don't know all the intricacies of every single school in Division Three when it comes to recruiting and financial aid and all of that jazz, but I do know that the coaches who are successful seem to find a way not to change the admissions and, and financial aid conversations necessarily. They may have a conversation with an AD or president to let them see their side of things, but they also adapt going, okay, these, this kind of group doesn't work, but we can get the same talent out of this kind of group. And then they succeed. Um, ultimately, though, it comes down to the school. If a school wants to succeed athletically, they're going to make decisions to allow that to happen while also benefiting the rest of the school. And if they don't make those decisions, so be it. And that is a theme we'll certainly talking about when it comes to the MIAC. 
Again, Sam Hargraves joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline. Appreciate him taking the time to join us about that. When we come back, we'll switch gears, talk women's basketball. Gordon Mann with a coach who left the East Coast to join the West Coast. How in the world he got to George Fox? We'll talk about that coming up. You're listening to the Hoopsville Podcast. Back with more after this. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division Three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbine. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games, leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Welcome back to the Hoopsville podcast for the month of May. We hope you were enjoying our off-season efforts. We're going to do our best to do this throughout the off-season leading up to the start of the 2019-2020 season. Can't believe it could be. Oh, it's closer than we really want to admit, let's be honest. Uh, we're talking coaching changes, and this is a topic that's easy for the offseason because there's plenty of coaching changes. It's actually almost too difficult because there are so many to choose from. Which ones do we want to talk about in depth? Which coaches do we want to discuss in detail about their changes? We want to find something that's somewhat unique. Obviously, Sam Hargraves going from one MIA school to the other, especially with his alma mater in the mix. That was kind of interesting to us. This one was interesting to us because it not only was a major change, but it seemed to be a shift in thinking by the institution. George Fox lost its longtime coach, and they've done this a few times. And then they have hired kind of within the area, a successful coach, especially in the high school ranks, et cetera, has come in and taken over for George Fox women's basketball. And they have barely, what, uh, skipped a beat, as it were, with those changes. This time around, they got another college basketball coach not even on the same coast. They hired Michael Capolino from Mount St. Mary. Certainly jumped out at us. I assume it jumped out for all of you. So we tasked D3Hoops.com's Gordon Mann to talk to Michael Capolino about this job. And you should tune in carefully because he talks about not only what got him interested in the job, 
but he also talks about how the team prepared to meet him and talking about the transition. Here's Gordon Mann with Coach Capolino. Now joined on the Hoopsville Hotline by the head coach of the George Fox University Bruins, Mike Coppolino. Coach, thanks very much for joining us and in what I know is a, a busy time for you from a transition period. Yeah, th- thanks, Gordon. I appreciate you uh, reaching out to me and uh, looking forward to, to chatting for a little bit and telling you about my, uh, my experiences here as I move from uh, east to west. So a lot of the hires this year have had uh, kind of natural local connections. There's been coaches who have gone back to their alma maters. There's been coaches who have been hired who were longtime assistants in the same conference or maybe in the same uh, metro region. Your move stands out because Newburgh, New York, is a long way from Newburgh, Oregon. So uh, can you take us through the process for how you heard about the opening and how you decided to apply? Yeah, uh, as you as you said, it's not uh, totally. Uh, it, it's completely uh, not normal, should I say, compared to the other moves that have happened this year. But uh, certainly, uh, I was the season concluded, and my old coach uh, and mentor Dale Wellman, who's currently at Nebraska Wesleyan on the, as the men's coach, uh, reached out to me and said, "Hey, did you see that uh, George Fox position open?" So from there, uh, I looked at it a little bit, and I knew. The name George Fox, uh, certainly they've had a, quite the reputation and run over the last uh, 10 years or so. So he actually played their men's program this year. They went out to George Fox and told me the facilities are great and uh, the people there they interacted with in a brief time uh, were fantastic. So one thing kind of led to another. I, I reached out and uh, the, the whole hiring process took a, took a few weeks, starting with a phone call and then... Uh, uh, from there, they flew out to campus a few weeks later, and here I am now, about a month later or so, uh, getting ready to move my stuff out there to, to move to the Northwest. I, I, we talked before the hand. You don't have a connection to that area, really. On, on, it's, it's a whole new world for you. It, it is. It is. And uh, but, but as I said to, to George Fox during the interview process, uh, I, I didn't have any connections whatsoever when I went to the women's side when I took over on November 3rd of 2013 right. <laughs> when, the, when the coach here was let go. So I kind of had to find my way, and I, and I had no idea. And certainly going from the men's side to the women's side is a massive jump and certainly an adjustment. So making that adjustment definitely took me about six months to a year to become uh, adapted to the women's side. So in terms of, yeah, region, uh, I guess it, it is a little bit of a change. But now that I've, I've been on the women's side for uh, nearly seven years, I think I think I can adapt to the area and, and the quality of players uh, pretty quickly. You know, the, the George Fox is on what we sometimes describe as, as an island in D3 because, you know, Mount St. Mary, where you were before, there are six conferences in New York in Division Three. There are six teams in Oregon that are in Division Three, and a lot of their, you know, a lot of their players are are local. And the previous two head coaches there had a background in the high school uh, uh, ranks there. So Mike Meek was a head high school coach. Scott Ruick was a high school assistant. How do you go about building that kind of local recruiting network, which seems to be kind of so key to George Fox's program? Yeah, so I actually, when I was going through the process, 
I had a the interview that I had with them was was over the phone. I was actually in Tampa at the Final Four, and I even told them during the interview process it was kind of uh, ironic that that night after my my phone interview, uh, I ran into Mike Michael Meek. Oh yeah, that evening. So from that point, when I ran into him and got his number and talked to him for half an hour, we've actually stayed in pretty good touch. I've talked to him or texted him every two days or so for the last month. And wow. he's been he's been a great great support system. Uh, he's said, hey, if you need anything or have any questions, and I think I'm actually annoying him at this point because I ask him <laughs> questions every every 48 hours or so. But he even texted me yesterday, how's everything going? Uh, we have uh, honestly become friends with him pretty quickly. <laughs> and I've, at the first event that I went to uh, out in Walnut Creek about three weeks ago now, he mm-hmm. was actually there and his daughter was playing. So I sat next to him for like four hours. So we, we've we've had a lot of interaction, ironically, in the past month or so. So, and he's been a huge help and support system, and I'm, I'm still learning my way, and it's going to take probably another month or two to feel really comfortable, but he's really helped guide me, and uh, I know he has great connections, and he's, he's a great guy uh, in the Oregon area, so he's kind of guided me and helped me a little bit along this uh, journey over the last couple of weeks. There was one, there's one other really noteworthy difference, or at least a difference that struck me between the two schools where you were at and where you're going, and wanted to ask you about the difference between the two. So Mount St. Mary's uh, or Mount St. Mary has a history as a Catholic college, but it's, it's not religiously affiliated now. I don't think it's like, it's like the school I went to, which is Trinity college, but (laughs) which has an Episcopalian background, but is not religiously affiliated. Mm -hmm. But George Fox, while it, you know, well, students aren't required to be Christian or Quaker there. It has required chapel gatherings, you know, professions of faith are pretty common, the press release announcing your hire, you talk about the importance of a, of a relationship with Jesus Christ. How will that change in kind of the role of religion? Does that will that will that be comfortable? Will that be very different? How, how do you how will that impact your work? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's not going to be too much of a difference to be honest with you. I mean, they do require chapel there, and here we we have. Uh, chapel on campus, but it's not required. Right. I would still go on the weekends. I'd see a good amount of students there. Not certainly not 100. Sure. Uh, but there'd still be a decent amount of students at mass on the weekends. So. Uh, the mere fact that uh, our priest on campus, Father Greg, came to almost all of our games last year and was on the bus rides with us <laughs> nearly every away game. Oh wow! Uh, so, so I have a pretty close connection with him, and uh, I, I, I get in terms of students and requirements, it's a little bit of a jump. But in, in terms, I, I don't see it being an issue whatsoever. It's not as if. Uh, we have no affiliation, and we sure. come from a completely different standpoint. Yes, right. they are uh, Christian-based and, and certainly have a few more requirements, but it's not not some massive jump or leap by sure. any stretch. So you had a, you're coming off a, a, gr- a great season at Mount St. Mary and did a, a really uh, remarkable job building that program back up. I mean, for those who don't know, Mount St. Mary – 15, 20 years ago was really the, the the big dog in the Skyline Conference, so won the conference and represented the conference in the NCAA tournament every year. Um, had a, a, a tumultuous turnover in its uh, previous coach back in 2013 and then kind of bottomed out and you built it back up from 14 wins to the NCAA tournament last year. Um, George Fox is not in that situation, right? They're perennially in the top 25, national title contender almost every year. Um, premier program in the Northwest Conference. So what's what's the difference in approach between rebuilding a program, which you did at Mount St. Mary, uh, into a title contender and keeping one there? 
Yeah, yeah, good, good question. Uh, can I get back to you on that answer? Right. Certainly, when I started here, th- there was not a lot when I when I walked in, uh, to say the least. And now it's the complete difference where they they have a really strong program currently, and they got a great group of young ladies, which I met when I was on campus. Uh, about two weeks ago. So it definitely is a difference and it'll be an adjustment in terms of now going out and not recruiting every single person or bringing in recruiting classes of 10, 11, 12 per year, whereas uh, half that getting in the four, five, six range of the right players and the right talent. I mean, at Division Three, you always have to bring in. It's really challenging to only bring in one or two every year, no matter where you are, uh, solely based on the attrition and the Division Three. Sometimes students don't make it all four years for a variety of reasons. Right. So uh, that that will be uh, a little bit of adjustment again. Maybe not recruiting as many per se, uh, just initially and kind of narrowing the the list down or recruits a little bit quicker uh, based on the talent that, that we already have. But uh, in terms of recruiting at Division Three, I think no matter where you are, you've got you to gotta go out there and grind and bring in the right talent and right individuals that fit into your system and your culture. And uh, certainly they have a very strong culture right now. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to build off that and continue to bring in young ladies who want to do the right thing both on and off the court. You mentioned that you met the the players at George Fox. Have you had a, much opportunity to watch their game film from last year? Yeah, I've watched a decent amount at this point. I've watched about eight or nine games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know what they have coming back. We have a strong group uh, coming back for sure. And uh, still watching the film on the incoming freshman class, which right now is five uh, young ladies. So I'm still sorting through that and uh, reaching out to them and talking to them. So uh, once we get... But once everyone gets to campus right near the end of August, they'll certainly have a much clearer picture of a variety of things. But uh, just right now, after meeting with them, there's certainly some people with some injuries and a wide variety of of things going on. So uh, hopefully we can get a a few small things rectified over the summer and and come back uh, in a good position in the fall. What's your impression of the difference in style of play between the skyline where you were and the Northwest Conference where you're going? Yeah, uh, in terms of just pace, they do play at a quicker pace. I mm-hmm. mean, they they have a little more. One thing I noticed just on film initially was just the length in terms of the Northwest Conference. Yes, just, right. uh, they sometimes have guards that are five foot eleven, right. or, or point guards that are five nine, five ten, five eleven. I mean, there are times when we'd have uh, my four and five, the the forwards being five eleven, six foot. So I mean, mm-hmm. that, that I would say would be the biggest difference in terms of just length and size uh, right off the bat, but uh, maybe a little bit higher basketball IQ, but in terms of Division Three basketball, uh, not any sort of massive change besides those. Are, George Fox in the past has played good in kind of an up-tempo, trapping, turn teams over, you know, like to push pace a little bit. Was that your style at, at Mount St. Mary too? Or you, is that something you think you'll maintain? Yeah, that wasn't really our style here. I mean, okay. we, we would try to push it offensively in transition, but defensively we'd kind of sit back into a zone okay. or sit back into a half-court man, which during the interview process, the uh, when I had lunch with the team, they made it very clear that they do not want to slow things down. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I'm def- we're, we're definitely going to continue to be up-tempo on the defensive end and press up. <laughs> may not press for an entire 40 minutes like they did in multiple games last year, but uh, definitely continue to increase the tempo and 
play to their style and, and their, their liking because I don't want to come in there and try to switch everything or change everything and turn everything upside down and have them be confused, certainly after having success doing one thing. There will definitely be adjustments and we'll, we'll, we'll play more zone and more in the half court, but it, it won't be uh, anything, anything drastic or some crazy change. Could you tell us a little bit more about that first meeting with the team? I'm always curious how how that works. Do they come in with, you know, these are the five things that we like? Is you know, how does how does that first meeting go? Yeah, that first meeting, I had lunch with them during my interview, and that was I told them afterwards that was the most intense hour and a half of my life. <laughs> there were 14 uh, young ladies at the table around me, and they, I, I don't know, I'm going to say they asked me 40 questions when wow. I was there. It was back and forth, back and forth, and they really interrogated me, to say the least. <laughs> and they wanted, they watched my press conference from the NCAA tournament. Uh, and they, one of the first questions they asked was, you know, you used the word slow or slow down the pace. Are you going to do that here? Because <laughs> you said that. So I told them, you know, the word slow is not something they like at all. Right. Uh, but but it, it, was, it was a really good conversation, and I could tell how passionate they were and how driven and how, how bad they want to win and bring the right young ladies into the program and continue the tradition of excellence which has been established there so it was yeah it was, to say the least you know, I, I, it, it, I thought it would be pretty easy going in there talking to the team but it was very <laughs> challenging with the, with the questions that they asked and even more so asking right off the bat like what can we do better what do we need to improve on so that they, they really hit me from all different angles during that during that uh, hour and a half but it, it was good I got to know them pretty well and, and certainly uh I'm very comfortable with them now, and, and hopefully we can continue to develop those relationships and build over the summer and be ready to go in the fall. Uh, what excites you most about the move? There's a lot to be excited about. Great program, good facilities, new new world. <laughs> what excites you most? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it could be a combination of things. I mean, meeting the team was, was fantastic. They get a great group there uh, of young ladies, which I'm really excited to work with. Uh, the staff and the faculty, just when I went there for seven quick days uh, at the beginning of the month, they, they were they were so welcoming and, and so just, I felt like a part of their family from the very beginning. So just being able to work with the people at George Fox is something I'm really excited and looking forward to. So it, it's tough to, to I, I could go down a list of a bunch of things, but those are uh, certainly the, the top two off the bat. The people there are just fantastic, and I'm really looking forward to, to getting there full-time in the, in the next few days and... Uh, get it started. So last question for you. I always try to end on a little lighter note. You might be the only coach I know who has two World Series rings from your, <laughs> from your time with the Boston Red Sox. I think if I had a World Series ring, I would probably sleep with it on. But maybe not if I lived in the area where the New York Yankees were the default, were the, were the most popular baseball team. So do you wear your, your World Series ring around? And what kind of reactions would you get from Yankee fans in Mount St. Mary? Yeah, it wouldn't be a great reaction. Someone may try <laughs> to cut off my finger and hand. So uh, I do not wear them around. They're a safe deposit box, and they, they are, they're pretty big and kind of like bulky. So it, it doesn't even look right on your finger when you have a ring that takes up like two fingers. So it's, it's a little, little much, and, and I'm not really a flashy person. So I, don't, <laughs> I, I do not wear them around. But it's, uh, yeah, something that they even asked me that when I went out there because I know their big Seattle Mariner fan base, which okay. is still three hours north of sure. where we are. But they, 
baseball tends to be a very uh, loyal fan base. So yeah. whether it's Yankees or Seattle Mariners or Red Sox, as soon as you tell them that you're something opposite, they tend to like raise an eyebrow at you. So that's something I've just dealt with my entire life because I, I haven't really been back in the Boston area uh, per se since 2010. So I've, I've, I've gotten used to it, especially, especially in Yankee country where I am now. I uh, have a few pictures on the wall when I was bat bowling and a few, a few Red Sox Yankees pictures and uh, people tend to give me a hard time. So I've kind of become acclimated to that uh, pretty quickly. So used to it. Well, from one Newburgh to another and from Yankee uh, territory to, uh, to Mariners territory, uh, good luck with your move. And we will uh, – We'll be watching closely, and uh, you know George Fox is always in our preseason top twenty-five. So we look forward to following the Bruins uh, into into the future. Yeah, thanks, Gordon. I appreciate you taking time, and uh, hopefully we'll continue on that top twenty-five run for many more years to come. <laughs> Once again, thanks to Gordon Mann and Coach Michael Capolino for joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline, presented by Blue Frame Technology. So interesting choices there, Coach Capolino, finding out about the job through a colleague and getting talked into it, going from one coast to the other. They talked a little bit about the religious angles of those things. And remember, in Division three schools, there's a lot of schools that still have some rich uh, religious backgrounds of varying, uh, of varying influences uh, and, and even influences on campus. One of the topics I don't think we'll dive into this summer, but one of the topics is some of the schools now kind of disavowing themselves from some of their religious uh, roots for varying reasons. So that's an interesting conversation that Gordon brought up there. Uh, but finding the school, obviously, and, and being interested in the school, now taking the job. And, of course, the, the question about style, especially on defense. George Fox has become synonymous with how they play and Mount St. Mary being so different. I love the answer there that, that Coach Capolino gave us about meeting the team, and that was the, one of their primary questions and how he respects that. But it also shows about how coaches can be adaptable too. Too many people think coaches are, are one kind of coach. I don't think you can be successful doing the same thing all the time. In fact, I would argue a coach who does the same thing all the time becomes unsuccessful. Everyone kind of knows what you're going to do. You don't change things up. You also don't change up to what kind of recruits you may get in. You may not get always the same recruit you want. Or because, as we talked about in the other segment, you have to change to the student that can get on the campus that you're coaching at. That may end up resulting in different types of students. You need to adjust uh, the the style of play that you play or whatever to to account for that fact. And I think some of the great coaches – do even if you don't even notice it, they're adjusting their style. So, you know, Coach Capolino has a big adjustment to make, and and we are certainly going to be interested to see how that uh, plays forward for George Fox and the Bruins out there, and what is becoming a very much more competitive Northwest Conference. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that all plays out. I'm also looking forward to seeing how the Northwest Conference evolves. Uh, not just because of this hire, but in general, I think in men's and women's basketball, it has become a much more competitive conference, and it's been fun to watch over the last few four years or a few years. By the way, thanks to Gordon for doing that segment. I hope to have Gordon on every podcast this offseason. One, because it takes a little bit of the load off of me. Uh, and two, Gordon does great interviews, and we got to find a way to get him more incorporated even during the regular season. That's just me kind of off the top of my head. Uh, I love hearing Gordon's point of view, especially on an interview point of view. He, he, his perspective sometimes is fun to listen to, especially when it comes to women's basketball. He covers both like we do, but his point of view and perspective on, on women's basketball is one of the, if not the best in Division Three, 
and getting his perspective is something I treasure, and I'm glad he at least did that interview with him, and we'll coordinate with him about other segments that he'd be interested in doing down the line, and, and I'm sure that we will do a segment together at some point as well about what's going on in the off season. With that, uh, we'll uh, take another break. When we come back, we'll uh, wrap up the show. We'll talk about what we talked about earlier, the MIAC, and, and kind of my final thoughts on all of that and uh, get you ready for what we may be working on for next month's podcast. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. Back with more after this. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass. And cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success. And prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Welcome back to the May edition of the Hoopsville podcast, despite it coming out in early June. I am your host, Dave McHugh. Again, interact with us on Twitter at D3Hoopsville, on Instagram at D3Hoopsville, hashtag Hoopsville, Facebook.com slash Hoopsville, email us Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. You know all the particulars. You can probably find them in lots of different ways. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, again, this is the May edition, despite coming out in early June. I hope to get one out by the end of June as well. We, we had some unforeseen delays. One, the Mayak news kind of set us back a little bit just when we were ready to come out. Uh, that news broke, and we, we wanted to kind of augment how we were doing the podcast. Again, it came out six hours after football had put their podcast out. So talk about just weird timing. I certainly didn't want to come out at the same time. It was football, so we were waiting a few days, and that, again, that's how all those things kind of altered. Another thing, I don't know if you can or cannot tell, but the audio may sound different from me. Uh, there's certain segments where I may sound a little different than I do say now. Um, there's a reason for that. If many of you remember the show and, and its history, uh, a number of years ago, we changed our studio look. Well, the reason for that was an unfortunate uh, <laughs> waterline breakage in the house, and it gave us a, a blessing in disguise in being able to kind of retool and retinker the studios. Um, well, we had an even bigger major problem in our basement. And as a result, the only thing left in the studio right now, if you can imagine it, is the desk and the studio desk, as it were, the monitors and all that. 
There's nothing else left in the room right now. There's not even carpeting left in the room. There certainly isn't any backdrop as we had another major water issue in this house. And uh, as a result, the studio is going to look a little bit different next year. But that also ended up causing some delays with us getting this podcast out. Uh, all right, so enough about, oh, the woes are we. Let's get on to the, this finale here. We have a couple of notebook items I want to get across, and then we'll get to my uh, thoughts on the MIAC decision. Okay, we haven't really talked about maybe some of the elephants in the room, and that's, of course, coaching changes. Uh, Trevor Woodruff from Scranton going to Bucknell. The other huge news that kind of ties in with Trevor Woodruff is Carla Berube leaving Tufts for Princeton. Now, those two coaches faced off in the Elite Eight this year with Trevor Woodruff's Scranton squad getting the uh, edge over Tufts and Carla Berube. Both of those coaches now heading off to Division uh, One land, along with, as we pointed out, obviously, at George Fox, their decision. As a result, a number of coaches this year, just this year alone, four of them have jumped from Division Three to Division One. Again, Michael Meek from George Fox, Trevor Woodruff from Scranton, uh, Carla Berube from Tufts. We also should mention Laura Sumsky from Rhodes, who was only there a couple of years before jumping. She's now gone to Lipscomb. You might remember last year we had uh, also four coaches. I'm sorry, two coaches jump. Mark Mitchell from FDU Florham and Scott Hemmer from SUNY Geneseo going uh, to Division One. You also had before that Nancy Faye and Lori Payne uh, from WashU and Puget Sound, respectfully. So in the last three off-seasons, we have seen a total of now eight coaches on the women's ranks alone go from D3 to D1. It hasn't been a very um, popular um, avenue, as it were. You can certainly go back to 2000, 2001, when three coaches left um, to become uh, Division uh, One coaches. If you're curious, it was Lisa Stone at Eau Claire. She went on to be, go to Drake. Candace Cabtree at Rowan went on to Drexel. And Richard Barron, who was at Sewanee, went on to Princeton. Interestingly enough, uh, Stone's still coaching. She's at uh, D1 St. Louis now. And Barron is still coaching, but now he's the men's, men, uh, uh, men's coach at Maine. Anyway, my point being was that's the last time we had three in one year. Now we've had four this year. So really interesting. We'll keep an eye on it. Obviously, we're going to root uh, Meek, Woodruff, Sumsky, and Barubi on. Uh, we wish them luck. Those who are taking over those roles, we'll keep an eye on as well. Obviously, George Fox has made a decision. Scranton has not. Tufts has not. I don't believe Rhodes has either as of yet. As the coaching carousel spun, there were some others that caught my attention. These are in order of when they happened, but not all of them, we should point out. Steve Howes leaving from Catholic uh, happened almost immediately after we aired our last show. That caught our attention. That's a big move for Steve and a big move for Catholic. Um, they ended up hiring Aaron Kelly, an assistant coach, one that I was told might have been in the running, but he wasn't a shoe-in, but others thought it was a shoe-in. It turns out he was a shoe-in. Uh, he got hired uh, less than a month after Steve left. By the way, Steve is now an athletics director at his alma mater in, uh, high school in the D.C. area. Um, Steve Moore announced at Worcester that he will spend one more year at the helm before then hanging up the uh, the uh, clipboard, as it were. And they've already announced that longtime associate head coach Doug Klein will take over. So one more year of Steve Moore at Worcester. Olivet made it official. Brittany Berry took over there as getting that interim tag removed, kind of buttoning up the Olivet decisions, to say the least. Uh, other things that jumped out to me, of course, you know, 
Kimbrough being hired at Hamden, Sydney. Caleb Kimbrough, a really good coach. I think people don't appreciate how good he is. Of course, he was a really good player in the ODAC. But that hire at, at Hamden, Sydney wasn't as – it didn't go smoothly. But I'm glad to see that Kimbrough got the job, to say the least. You can go through the coaching carousel and find a whole mess of coaching decisions that will maybe jump out at you in particular or, or jump out at others. Uh, Otterbein's head coach, Connie Richardson, decided to uh, step down. Um, you've got others who decided to take over programs. I think Josh Hintz, the two-time All-American in D- by, from D3Hoops.com, uh, over at Beloit will be a fascinating one to see how that plays out. I'm, I'm wishing him luck. Um, Mark Krishner taking over at Calvin Women's Basketball Program after being the, men, uh, the Waynesburg men's coach for the last seven years is one that will will certainly jump out. One I'm not forgetting, but because it goes in order, Matt Logie deciding to leave Whitworth. We got wind of this shortly before it happened. And, of course, they made an immediate decision on who his um, uh, the person who's going to take over for him, basically his longtime associate head coach, has taken over for Whitworth. They didn't waste any time with that decision whatsoever. Um, ben Thompson leaving uh, SUNY Canton. He's taking over at Emory and Henry. That's a big move for him. Um, significance. He, he kind of put Canton on the map, to be honest with you, folks. be fascinating to see what Canton does after that, but that's a pretty good hire by Emory and Henry. Another one, of course, is Matt Lewis. By the way, uh, that interim tag's been removed from the now national champ head coach at Oshkosh. We joked about it on the last show about how he would get that job. I did check. Um, I don't believe he was in Paris when the decision was made this time. Um, but he did get that interim tag officially removed from his title. You can keep track of coaching changes. There's been a number of other ones besides just those. Calvin made its decision bringing in an alum to take over the program. I think it's an interesting decision to bring back Bill Saul and give him some time to see how he how he does with, a, I think, a different Calvin program than when he was around. I, just my theory. Southern Virginia made an interesting decision. Adam Wardenberg, who did so well with the women's program last year in his first year, moved over to the men's side and an alum uh, took over the women's program there. So lots of things going on. Keep an eye on uh, d3hoops.com. We'll do our best to keep up with those coaching changes along the way. One other significant note, right before we taped, uh, the news came out that we will have some new rules in men's basketball. They've been approved. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into what the women might bring to the table at another time. But the men are going to be moving the three-point line back to the international line. For D1 next year, as you may know, in Division Two and Division Three, they're given a year before that is uh, implemented. So not next academic year, but in uh, 2021, we will see the three-point line at the international line in Division Three. I'm kind of a fan of that. I don't I don't have any issues with it necessarily. There's also going to be some changes to the shot clock in the men's game uh, and some other little bits and pieces. We're going to try and break those down in the next podcast by the end of June. We're hoping to talk to a rules committee member from Division Three about those rule changes, why they were thought of, what the impact could be in Division Three, all of that jazz. We'll talk about that in June, plus some other news out there as well. So stick with us. We hope to get it out uh, last week of June by the latest. Obviously, a little bit of a crunch timeline now that um, this podcast is coming out a little bit later. But we got to get it out before July because I'm going to be slammed in July. And be honest with you, July's podcast is probably going to bleed into August. So we'd rather get this one out in the end of June. Anyway, 
Uh, let's get back to the Mayak topic. Again, St. Thomas being involuntarily removed from a conference they helped form 99 years ago in the MIAC. And, and there's been plenty of opinions. I, I thought about re-airing the opinion of Scott Van Pelt on ESPN, which I thought was well-researched and on point. I also thought about bringing back the comments of PTI, which I wouldn't normally do. Michael Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser, not something I would normally bring back, um, but I thought they're they're their thoughts on it were pretty poignant, but it's just added time to the podcast. And if you really want to go out there, you can find them. I think the, the, the Star Tribune out of Minnesota has done a spectacular job um, covering this topic. Listen, that's the kind of news we would love to do at D3 Sports if this was our full-time jobs. Um, but they did a spectacular job with, with this entire story, and I know they are not done. Um, but it's they are worth reading if you get the opportunity. Uh, you might have to pay for a uh, membership to read some a lot of their coverage, but they deserve it, to be honest with you. It's like getting the newspaper. It's worth paying a little bit of money to, to read their stuff. The long and the short of it, from my point of view, is this. This is, is a horrible idea. And I know it's done and dusted. You can certainly hope that maybe in... The two years to come, some smarter heads will take over or some presidents will get into uh, take over for other presidents and, and change the direction of the MIAC. I have a feeling it's probably too late, but you can always hope. I, I also hope that that's, this does not lead to St. Thomas, someone like Thomas More, being uh, forced to go somewhere else. Uh, I say that because you never know. Uh, Thomas More was, yes, removed from... Despite whatever you want to read, let's be blunt here. Thomas More was removed from the PAC. Now, there were extenuating circumstances there that many of you should be aware. Obviously, there was the problem with Sidney Moss and the fact that they had to vacate an entire season, including a national title. Uh, and there's certainly plenty you could talk about along those lines. But there was other things going on that aren't as much public regarding compliance, as I've been told at Thomas More. So the conference had reason. They had an idea of why they wanted Thomas More out. The MIAC has nothing like that with St. Thomas. There's no rules that have been broken. There's no bylaws that have been broken. There's no investigation that we're aware of into St. Thomas. And I think I would know even off the record if an investigation was underway that would impact the status of St. Thomas as a conference member. My point is I hope St. Thomas isn't forced out of Division Three because of the decision here in the MIAC. I think the WIAC is a place they can fit in. I think the ARC certainly makes some sense. Maybe there's some other solutions that I just don't see right now or I can't appreciate, but I hope they don't have to be forced to go somewhere they don't necessarily want to go. I don't think the NAIA is an option, and spending the money to go to Division Two and or on to Division One, I, I don't think makes logical sense. And for all of you who say, well, they're spending money on athletics that's why they got kicked out. Da, 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 da. They can spend it to go to D2 and D1. That, that's not a fair comparison. That's not even an apples and oranges conversation. Those, those are two different, three different worlds, as it were. I just hope that the decision by the MIAC, as short-sighted and as petty as it is, does not end up affecting St. Thomas in a way of we lose them out of Division Three. This is just plain and simple. I personally feel school presidents who want their cake and eat it too. A small group of the MIAC decided to be, in my opinion, petty. And yes, I mean small group. That small group, I feel, bullied others to force out what is a good program because other, the others in that group didn't want to admit their own problems. 
They then tried to pretend that the MIAC had prestige, that prestige was, of course, built in part by St. Thomas, who they are, of course, kicking out. The argument that enrollment is the problem here is not a valid argument. We can look across the board at enrollment numbers that do not automatically mean winning. You can look at some of the biggest programs in Division Three. You won't see a lot of conference or national championships or anything along those lines. You can also look at a lot of schools with enrollment numbers are incredibly low who do incredibly well. So enrollment is not a good enough argument. Is St. Thomas twice the size of its nearest school in terms of enrollment? Yes. Yes, they are. There's no argument there. But that doesn't dictate how they spend their money. That doesn't mean that their sports are automatically better. Uh, some other people have made the argument that, you know, well, they, they allow 80 some odd percent of their applicants into the college. Okay. Again, that doesn't mean much. Did you know that Amherst allows 13% of its applicants in and yet they're still winning at an incredible clip in a lot of their sports? A lot of the NESCACs allow in very few. Some schools allow in 86% and don't succeed very, very much at all. Have you noticed my alma mater? Nothing against my alma mater, but they allow 80 plus percent of the of those who applied to go to Goucher College, yet they're not a powerhouse when it comes to sports. These are just smoke and mirrors. They're not telling you the truth. The other argument that I feel is illegitimate is the football score one. You know, they talk about, oh, geez, you know, St. Thomas defeated St. Olaf by a score of 92 or whatever to nothing, and, and, and that wasn't fair. Well, as Pat and I pointed out, first off, that game was on the road. St. Thomas was limited by conference rule, by the way, on how many students it could bring to that game and suit up. So we're already talking about a team that can't go deeper to make things less brutal. And again, they were running the ball most of that second half, just for the record. By the way, did you know that the top four schools in the conference in football last year beat the bottom four, including some of those we're talking about, by an average of 55 or more points? This isn't a St. Thomas problem. St. Thomas finished third in the conference, oh, by the way, in football. Again, it's not a St. Thomas problem. The problem is schools crying foul, not willing to look at their own lack of effort. The schools refuse to make the same investment Stevens Point and other, sorry, Stevens Point, St. Thomas and others are making in athletics. And by the way, that's fine. No one said they have to make the same investment as St. Thomas, St. John's, or any of the other schools that are succeeding into athletics. They don't have to. That is their decision. That is, that is all well and good. However, you can't kick out a conference member because you don't make the same investment. To me, that comes across as petty, shameful, and ridiculous. There are other places those schools can leave for. They can leave for, say, the Midwest Conference. They can leave for the UMAC. We know many a time where schools feel they cannot compete, departing for what I would call, quote-unquote, greener pastures. Maybe create a new conference. Find some other members to join you. You're more than welcome to do that if you feel that that would make your situation better. But that's where this all kind of comes to a head. In my opinion, these schools want to have their cake and eat it too. They don't want to lose that AQ opportunity, the automatic qualifier. They don't want to wait 
maybe two years for an automatic qualifier should they create a new conference. They'd rather stay in what they call the prestigious MIAC. Of course, kicking out a member because of enrollment, as we mentioned, isn't a great excuse. Kicking out of a member because of success is pretty petty. And not owning up to the fact your lack of effort and spending is only hurting your institution. And by the way, is hurting your student-athletes. I've read many a student-athlete at these schools who are embarrassed by this decision. And I've, I've noticed a couple of their comments about being, yeah, we're going to get our teeth kicked in, but it's going to make me better. The prestige of this conference is taking a hit because of this decision. And I don't understand the example these presidents are making. What are they giving their student-athletes and the larger student body? Are they basically telling them, hey, go ahead. If you can't step up and give it a go, we're just going to make sure it's easier for you. Think about this. Let's say a team finishes seventh in the conference standings in football and they kick out St. Thomas. Where are they going to finish now? Sixth, what have you really improved? What have you really changed? You've kicked out somebody who gives prestige to your conference, has basically done well by your conference, shown a light on your conference, and represents your conference in Division Three very well. And you don't like the score in a football game because you aren't making the same investment. Fine, go somewhere else. Kicking out St. Thomas is mind-boggling. And I'm actually doing my best not to use the words I want to use. This makes no sense. And I really hope the precedent isn't set now that other schools and other conferences think they can do the same because it's not a smart idea. Listen, Schools are allowed to spend the money how they want to spend it. I have no problems with that, including my alma mater. If they choose to not spend the money in athletics, then they don't spend it. So be it. I, I, I am one person. I have my opinion. There are others with their opinions. So be it. But to pretend, to pretend that a school is too good for you, that it's unfair, despite the fact they follow all the rules, that it's unfair because they're bigger than you are, despite the fact that it has nothing to do with spending, it just does, doesn't make any sense. I'm getting a little bit rambling, and I apologize. But my biggest thought on this is, why? In the grand scheme of things, is this really the fella, feather you want to put in one's hat? <laughs> I kicked out a conference member because they were too good. You know what really drives me nuts about this? The secrecy. This decision was being made behind closed doors before somebody, and I don't know who, decided to blow the whistle and let media know about it. And by the way, I have it on pretty good, on pretty good uh, uh, record that it wasn't St. Thomas. It was someone else had had enough and decided the media needed to know what was going on behind closed doors. So these presidents want to stand there on a pedestal, talk about the virtues of their institutions, talk about how great they are as leaders and, and creating leaders of the world. And yet they went behind closed doors, tried to backstab St. Thomas, essentially, kick him out before anybody knew what was going on. Then when the media did find out and questions were being asked, you know what they did not do? They did not stand in front of a camera or in front of a reporter 
and answer said questions. They decided instead to hide even more, to pretend it wasn't happening. And here's what drives me nuts. They just said, you need to reference any conference questions to the MIAC offices. Of course, the MIAC offices, they work for the presidents, and the presidents told them basically the office to say nothing. So the presidents in the school said, you need to talk to the MIAC, and the MIAC was told, say nothing. Are you kidding me? You know what? I'd have a lot more respect for this decision if you stood up, manned up, or whatever term you want to use, and faced the music, faced the tough questions, had a good answer, and delivered it, gave your argument for the world. Instead, you've done the opposite. You've put your head in the sand, pretended no one exists, and that this will all blow over. Here's one thing I'm going to promise you. It's not blowing over. Maybe some of the national media in terms of ESPN and, and maybe the Washington Post or somebody else isn't going to stick with this for the next two years. But I bet you the Star Tribune will, and I guarantee you we will at Hoopsville, and I promise you we will at D3 Hoops. Not in a way of, of lambasting and trying to be mean, but we're going to make sure we understand what the decision was and, and why those questions weren't answered. And by the way, there's other people we were going to hold their feet to the fire about other topics too. This is embarrassing. Embarrassing for their institutions, embarrassing for the conference, embarrassing for Division Three. The only one who actually looks good in this situation is St. Thomas. And with that, we'll wrap up the May edition of the Hoopsville Podcast. I am Dave McHugh. If you have thoughts on things you'd like us to cover in the offseason, email them, hoopsville at d3hoops.com or tweet us, tweet us at d3hoopsville. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville. You can also find us on Instagram at d3hoopsville as well. I want to thank our partners at Blue Frame Technology for their hosting of the hotline and i want to thank gordon mann for his contributions to the show i really hope we get to hear from gordon every show in the off uh, this off season i also want to thank pat coleman for coming on the show i want to thank sam hargraves for his time and i want to thank the sids who helped us get our interviews as well hope you enjoy your june we'll see you at the end of the month where we'll talk rules and whatever else we find in division three You've been listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. We'll see you in a few weeks. Copyrighted broadcast of Hoopsville is a property of DMAC Productions and David McHugh and is intended solely for the private, personal use of our audience. Any other broadcast, rebroadcast, or other use of the descriptions and accounts of this show without the express written consent of Hoopsville and DMAC Productions is strictly prohibited.